0: That happens with couples. One spouse is like, why aren't you answering me? Don't you care? Don't you want to do this thing? What do you think about it? Should we do this or not? Should we go out tonight or should we not go out? Or should we buy this house or not? You know, why don't you have an opinion? And um, it's not that they don't have an opinion. It's that the other temperament needs to take some time to think it through. I think the biggest thing I have to do is being a sanguine and being very
1: relational. I have to be very careful not to impose that on Brady and assume that he can read me all the time. I have to speak clearly and I I need to not blame him if he doesn't understand because I have to take responsibility for how I'm doing and how I'm feeling rather than thinking I've dropped enough hints that he ought to get it and then being mad at him for not getting it.
2: (laughs) There's no way I could have ever fallen in love with another temperament for sure.
3: This is Made for Love, a Catholic podcast about real people living out the call to love. I'm your host, Sarah Perla. Today, we're talking about the four temperaments and how our temperament affects our relationships, especially in marriage and family life. The idea of the four temperaments, or humors, is ancient, and it was quite popular in the Middle Ages. It was based on the idea that certain elements of your personality were determined by an excess of one bodily fluid or another. (laughs) And this idea persisted
0: for quite a while. So my temperament is choleric, or some people say choleric, and sanguine. The choleric or choleric is the basic type A person, you know, where they're kind of like the hard driving, you know, they like to get lots of things done, they have quick, intense strong long-lived reactions so they tend to be kind of like stubborn and strong-willed and let's get this done and sometimes they get accused of rolling over people when they set a plan in motion or something like that and maybe not as good at listening Mm -hmm. as they could be generally they're not because they always think they're right (laughs) so that's the choleric and then the sanguine is kind of like that people person Friendly and outgoing, and likes to have a lot of different experiences. Their reactions are quick and intense, but short-lived. So if you're partly sanguine, you're going to have a part of you that kind of flits at time from thing to thing. Ooh, this looks exciting! Or think of Tigger and Winnie the Pooh. You know, it's like, ooh, that's what Tiggers love best. And then he's like, no, 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 Tiggers don't love that best. <laughs> Jump from thing to thing. They're kind of like butterflies. You know, they have lots of interests. So I'm those two together.
4: The other two temperaments is the phlegmatic temperament. Phlegmatics just kind of want to fit in, don't want to cause any trouble, don't want to make any waves. are very cooperative. They're team players, they genuinely are. They get along with pretty much anybody, they can work with anybody pretty much. And so that's a fantastic temperament. And the melancholic temperament is uh, like the phlegmatic we call introverted temperaments. They're more or less kind of checking internally before they Express externally. The melancholic temperament is, though, has a higher standard for quality. And they, like ways, they like things a certain way, and there really is only one way to do most things, and they don't understand why everybody doesn't just get that. And they're very detail-oriented, very quality-oriented. It doesn't matter how we do things and what we do. We want to be just kind of capricious about stuff. A lot of artists, a lot of poets, sensitive. a lot of-
0: They're very sensitive.
4: Probably most would describe them as too sensitive.
3: This is Lorraine and Art Bennett, the authors of a bunch of books on the temperaments, such as The Temperament God Gave You, or The Temperament God Gave Your Spouse, or Your Children, you know, etc.
4: My name is Art Bennett, President and CEO of Catholic Charities, Diocese of Arlington.
0: And I'm Lorraine Bennett, and I work for the National Council of Catholic Women. They are the experts on
3: today's episode, so they will be sprinkled throughout. Temperaments have to do with how we react to things quickly or slowly, strongly or weakly, and lastingly or fleetingly. And I'm going to spare you the details of which bodily fluids you supposedly have too much of, but phlegmatic is pretty obvious. Phlegm.
5: Every test I've ever done, I am very strongly phlegmatic. Easygoing,
2: introverted, tends to describe me pretty well.
1: We all agree that I'm sanguine, and I think secondarily phlegmatic my husband thinks that doesn't. None of those really quite fit me, but that's as close as I get.
3: This is Brady and Sarah Wilson. My name is Brady Wilson.
1: My name is Sarah Wilson.
5: Been married for going on. It'll be five years this August. We have two children here, Sophia and Thomas. She's just about three, and he just turned one a month ago.
3: Brady and Sarah met when they were judges of a high school speech and debate tournament together.
1: A mutual friend introduced us and I didn't think much of Brady at all at the time. Um he was very quiet and not like an in there sort of person and so I mean I just didn't think much of him. But we ended up working together a lot coaching and his temperament did attract me a good bit because he just was a really easygoing sort of guy, not loud and and out there but just really easygoing and really pleasant to talk to once once we got through the initial getting to know one another and so yeah I could talk to him for hours and it was just a really it was a nice, peaceful sort of conversation. And so I, I think he just made me feel peaceful and comfortable.
3: So Sarah thinks that she was drawn to Brady's quieter, thoughtful side. What about Brady? Did he appreciate Sarah's quick reactions and energy?
5: I don't think it was really her temperament that really attracted me to her. Don't get me wrong, Sarah's got a wonderful temperament, but it was more of like her higher order personality, especially character aspects, I think, that were what what especially attracted me to her. And those are things that to some degree are independent of the underlying sort of emotional temperament.
0: Ah, well. As Lorraine Bennett emphasizes... It's not your whole personality, because your whole personality can include things both environmental factors as well as heredity. So the temperament is really that natural part. So nature versus nurture, what you start out with.
3: Luckily for Brady and Sarah, the temperament combination of phlegmatic and sanguine is a pretty smooth one.
1: We really don't have a lot of big conflicts in our marriage, which is really nice.
3: So it was a bit of work to find out how their temperaments led to some misunderstandings.
1: Probably in the first couple months of being married, talking through different things the way we would. I can tend to take things a lot more personally. Brady might make a statement about something, and I viewed it as how he thought of me and what he thought of me. And he's just talking, and then he would start feeling like he couldn't say things because I was taking them all personally.
3: And Brady remembered one particular Saturday... That he thought had been a great low key day.
5: I kind of ruined Sarah's Saturday because we had talked about all these things that we could do this weekend. And in my mind, I was throwing out ideas and, well, maybe we could do this if it ends up happening and maybe we won't end up again. And at the end of the day, we ended up, we just hadn't done anything. We kind of ended up just having a very lazy, relaxing day around the house. Sarah, it was clear that had bothered her, and I hadn't understood it because I didn't realize that she felt like we had sort of made plans and then not followed through. So I thought we had had a wonderful, relaxed day, and Sarah felt like we had just, we hadn't accomplished anything and we hadn't followed our plans or anything like that.
3: This reminded me of the Love Languages episode, where we talked about how quality time means different things to different people.
5: We've used similar language, but to some degree, I would say things and mean it sort of this more flexible aspiration
3: Sarah remembered an incident from their first anniversary.
1: For our first anniversary, we went to Gettysburg, and we wandered around for a while, and I told Brady something about how I wanted to get a souvenir or something for our first anniversary. And I don't remember how I phrased it, but I think I told him that was something that I'd like to do. And I thought I was telling him, now take the ball and let's go with it. So at the end of the day came, and we're getting ready to go home, and the shops are closing, and... I was kind of missed because he had never taken initiative for what I had brought up. And Brady thought if she wanted it, she would have insisted on it and brought it up again. And I thought I had passed the ball to him. And I think that sort of boiled down to I'm not as good at pushing things. So when I bring something up, I feel like I kind of did my job where Brady's used to with his personality. If if he wants something, then he'll push for it. And if he doesn't bring it up a lot, then he's just kind of not caring about it as much and he's just gonna let things go as they go. So we were both trying to impose one another's personalities on the other person. So I ended up frustrated and he's like, what, I didn't understand.
3: Ah, communication. (laughs) Why is it so hard?
5: Actually, I guess a lot of it is even learning to just ask a lot of questions. Uh, Ask, where are you at? Questions, how are you feeling? What would you like to do? To make sure I really understand how she's doing is just by nature I'm not able to be as in tune with that as I would like to. I think some people are just more naturally very in tune with how other people around them are doing, how they're feeling. Sarah's definitely very good at that. But that's something that I have to to approximate it by teaching myself to sort of ask questions.
1: It definitely took a lot of understanding how he communicates and how I receive. We had to learn how to talk things out better and I had to listen better and he had to speak more. This is crucial.
3: Do you hear how neither Brady nor Sarah is blaming the other one for being this way or that way? Art Bennett says that this is really important.
4: What the temperament did, it caused us to pause a little bit and say, well, just because you're not like me or reacting the same way I do, that may not be a problem. It's certainly not a pathological problem. Right. That's tremendously freeing in a relationship or a marriage, particularly Mm -hmm. when you're the opposite like we are. Rather than kind of instantly demonizing your spouse or your lover Mm -hmm. or your friend, We got to go, okay, maybe there's something different going on. It's not that big a deal. It's not that bad. So it had a tremendous uh, harmonizing and also kind of blocked the overcritical thing, which is for us malcolics, that's our temptation.
3: Here, Art points out what a couple needs to avoid.
4: Over time, you can fall into resentment. So you you keep score of how infrequently they're doing the dishes or how they interrupt you or how they're not available to talk. It starts feeding into an image of the other of the other person, and I think one of the key things there is, first of all, is that kind of thinking, what Lorraine called this negative sentiment override, you don't want to gently go into that, so rather than waiting for the other person to change and be transformed because you want them to, you want to kind of check yourself, say, wait a second, let's I might be going down a path here, causing more trouble. So I think ideally what happens, you want to change the interaction. So first of all, you want to take some responsibility. I don't want to go down that road. This is bothering me. This is a person I love. So let me, let me see what I can do on my end. And usually it's going to have to be partly tolerant. Something very easy for me, I would never go to bed without doing the dishes, let's say. It would be very hard for a sanguine who can take care of it tomorrow or the next day.
3: If one spouse feels like the other, blames them for something that they aren't even doing on purpose, they are bound to get
0: defensive. The defensiveness will then shut them down so they you can't know, listen.
4: You know, communication techniques are really trying to not allow defensiveness to come in.
0: Brady and Sarah
3: are a good example of keeping communication open, looking at themselves and their own reactions first, and appreciating what their differences make possible.
5: It is very important in a marriage that the wife understands that the other person is different, and it's even a very good thing. Being married to Sarah, the ways in which she's different are incredibly complementary, and we get a lot more done and done on time, be very sure than I would ever get done on my own.
3: The Wilsons also have two children, and children are like raw temperaments, because they haven't had time to develop virtues.
1: Our three-year-old is a lot like Brady. She's not as much of a relational, she's not sanguine by any means. I very much have to try to work on relating to her in a similar way to the way I relate to Brady. She's sort of a logical person, and she can do something wrong, and I can get frustrated with her, and she seems totally chill about the whole thing, and I want her to be upset because I want her to show that she cares, that she did something wrong, and that I'm frustrated with her, but she's just very chill and very logically, well, don't worry, I won't do it tomorrow. Here's another
3: young couple willing to talk about their temperaments.
2: My name is Nick. I'm a choleric. Been married to Lucy for about a year and a half.
3: And I am Lucy. And
1: I am a sanguine.
3: Now, the Van Shijks are actually related to the Bennets. Lucy is one of Lorraine and Art's daughters. And in fact, Lorraine told me a story about Lucy as a child, which then Nick brought up in our interview.
2: Lucy used to Tom Sawyer her friends into cleaning a room for her. So <laughs> that one, Lucy.
1: Yeah, hey. <laughs> okay, I would invite. <laughs> my melancholic best friend over. And, okay, just so you know, she remembers this and she still loves me. I used to invite her over and I'd be like, hey, hey, Emily, um, wouldn't it be fun
0: if you helped me clean my room or perhaps cleaned it for me? And she'd be like, okay. See, I would say you can't have your friend over spend the night until you clean your room. She'd like, okay, I I got it, I got it. She'd get her friend to come over and clean a room for her.
3: It's only fair then to get a story about little Nick on the show as well.
2: I used to always want to know what was happening next and what the plan was and when and kind of timeline. And so I forget if I was two or three, but I would nag more than anyone else about when are we getting there? What are we doing when we get there? And the classic wave-off response from parents or aunts and uncles is, We'll get there soon, or we'll be there soon, or we'll do this soon. And, uh, I just hated that word more than anything. Anytime I heard that, I would fold my arms and huge frown and just say, I hate doing this.
3: Nick and Lucy met in college.
2: We were both very extroverted in college. Both, you know, had a lot of friends, liked to be around friends as much as possible. I definitely noticed that and liked that about Lucy. And I noticed that Anytime she was in the room, I knew I was having more fun than when she wasn't in the
3: room. By the way, as a sanguine myself, I think that's the best compliment ever.
1: And it's probably because I grew up around the temperaments. I remember noticing that Nick was a choleric freshman year of college when we met. Because since he's a choleric, he's this natural-born leader. And I remember in college, Nick was always that life of the party, but really the one also starting all the parties in the first place. You know, we looked to Nick about where we would go for the weekend, what we wanted to do, so he was clearly that natural leader. Also, you could always find him in the midst of some sort of heated discussion with friends, <laughs> and it was definitely something that attracted me to Nick. Anytime he walked into a room, he clearly captivated it, and it was very attractive.
3: I asked Lucy if she has the sanguine tendency to start a lot of things, but not necessarily finish them.
1: Recently, I told Nick, I was like, Nick, we should become tennis players because I feel like a lot of fun, active couples play tennis, you know? (laughs) He was like, Lucy, we have to buy tennis rackets and a ball, and I don't think we'll ever end up playing tennis. I was like, no, no, no. no. You don't understand? It's going to be awesome. I'm going to get it. I'm going to become really good. He was like, this is not going to happen, but okay. We went to Target, we picked up tennis rackets, we went out to the tennis court once, and turns out I'm not very good at tennis, and Nick is actually like pretty good at tennis, and he was just destroying me, and I got quickly very frustrated, and I was like, no, this is not how it's supposed to be, and um, that was like a year ago, and we haven't played since.
3: Lucy was drawn to Nick's leadership qualities, but also how he has striven to temper them
1: there are times when you run into clerics and you're like, okay, this cleric can be kind of annoying. They're a little too dominant. But he he really has a good grasp on that.
2: So knowing that I have a propensity to enforce my ideas on other people, that's the uh, the negative side of being a leader. I think about that a lot and I and prepare for it. So, you know, an example of that is we have a family beach trip coming up for a week this summer. And you know, before going on I'll be thinking myself, you know, if we have a day, we're trying to decide what to do with it. If I give my idea and we end up doing that, it's not always because I just had the best idea. And so I I really try to focus on drawing other people's ideas out of them, making sure to gauge the room from other people's perspectives. But I think the key here is thinking about that and preparing for that in advance. That can really help get me in the right mindset to make sure I'm being careful and being aware of what other people's wishes are.
3: And one of the things I find
1: personally hard
3: to deal with when it comes to choleric
1: people. You'll want to argue something just to argue something, you know, just to be like getting a good debate. And then my statement will come out and I'll be offended. I'll be like, wait, why are we arguing about this? This is supposed to be a happy moment. And he's like, no, I'm just having a good, fun debate.
2: <laughs> this is a happy moment.
1: And yeah, you're like, this is this is happiness for me. <laughs>
3: So what happens when two very extroverted people plan a wedding?
1: Nothing else matters, absolutely nothing, except having everyone we love at the wedding. So we place these high values on our relationship, but not so much that melancholic attention to
3: order and detail. <laughs> Since weddings are family affairs, people with other temperaments in the family had other
1: ideas. My uh, melancholic sister was really thrown off when I said, hey it's cool we don't need catered food maybe we don't need food at all or maybe we'll just order pizzas and she was like what you can't do that so that's kind of what we did we ended up having to pizza this new trick
3: lucy and nick knew what they wanted they knew what was important to them and wanted to include anyone and everyone in their special day
1: since we wanted all of our friends there we were like it's okay if our friends bring other friends to a wedding that's totally fine And I will never forget, during the bouquet toss, I tossed it, and I never met the woman who caught it. (laughs) I was like, oh, hi, my name's Lucy. Welcome to this wedding. (laughs) So I think that was just a good example. We were just completely focused on having our friends there rather than these important details. (laughs) But it was a good time.
3: This all sounded perfect to me. So I had to press to get a story about how the similar weaknesses of their temperaments could lead to problems.
2: Soon after we got married, we were buying all this furniture for our apartment on Facebook Marketplace and we found this coffee table and just kind of quickly went ahead and bought it. In the year after that, we, we never really fell in love with the coffee table. We, we didn't like it. It was kind of squeaky and it just didn't match the apartment well. So anyway, one day we were thinking like, let's replace this coffee table. We'll sell it on Facebook Marketplace and then we'll wait and get a coffee table that we really know we love and we know it's the right one so we immediately snap a picture of it put it on Facebook marketplace it's sold within 45 minutes there's a woman there picking it up and gives us $80 and she walks out the door and we look back into our apartment and we don't have a coffee table anymore (laughs) this is by the way a 500 square foot apartment where the living room is the vast majority of it and the coffee table is where we eat 80% of our meals. And you know, it's crucial to living in this apartment is having a coffee table.
3: So yeah, they told me they still don't have anywhere to eat in their apartment. They also know that certain parts of Catholic life are not natural to them.
1: In our prayer life, I think it's really important to know our strengths and weaknesses for our temperaments, because since we really, both of us really thrive in activity, we don't always leave time for quiet prayer.
3: In fact, as they realized that they were getting into a bad habit on Sunday mornings, they made a concrete change.
1: We were bad about getting to church right on time. You know, we'd walk in a couple minutes late and be like, oh, darn, we were late again. And um, noticing that was a flaw on both of our parts. Nick actually suggested, since we're bad about this, we need to get to mass at least 15 minutes early. We need to sit in the very front. And we need to just spend some silent time in prayer. And that was something that's just so hard for both of us, but it's really helpful because sometimes life is just a little too loud for us. We're constantly doing things. So to really take the time in silent prayer is really good for us.
3: Nick and Lucy are expecting their first baby and looking forward to meeting him.
1: He's going to be a melancholic.
3: (laughs) I just know it. So now let's spend a little more time with Art and Lorraine. When they were married, their differences became much more stark.
0: Before I knew about temperaments, I used to think art was exactly like me, only bad. (laughs) I like to go out, I like to go to parties, and I like to talk to a lot of people, and he's so quiet. Is he antisocial or is he mad at me? So these are things that are part of our temperament, but sometimes we wrongly attribute them as being uh, somehow moral failings or something.
3: Especially since they were now living together, the fact that art needed time to be alone and quiet was hard for Lorraine to understand.
4: How come he comes home from work and, and he wants some time from himself? Is he mad at me? or are not talking. Right. I mean, my point of view, why every time we go out with new friends do you have to bring up religion and politics? You know, I, I don't like conflict. You like the, you like you love conflict. Why do we have to start out so stressful all the time? Can't we just can't we ever relax for goodness' sakes? Yeah.
3: Lorraine thrives on argument and discussion, even if it gets emotional or heated. It doesn't bother her. In contrast, someone with a phlegmatic temperament wants to avoid that kind of conflict.
4: Sometimes conflicts in the air, they'll just say, well, if I take the blame, will that stop the argument? Then I'll just take the blame and stop the argument. We can move on.
3: I asked the Bennetts if there are any combinations of temperaments that just shouldn't get married.
4: We don't believe that any two temperaments are are necessarily incompatible. Uh, We also don't believe that any two temperaments are necessarily going to be great. Perfect. No, I Perfect, mean, the, yeah.
0: we don't think there's any
4: yeah.
0: pre-designed plan but, but here.
4: The with... presumption in all situations that there's <laughs> bilateral respect. And out of that respect, and that and love can sometimes come, you know, for some very gentle but appropriate confrontations.
3: And they also found out how to use the slow start for discussing challenges.
4: Can I talk to you about something? Right. Now, if you're talking to a sanguine, she's ready to talk now. <laughs> but if you're talking to melancholic phlegmine, something really important I want to talk to you about. Can you let me know... When? when you'd like to chat because yeah. you're, you're not rushing them because I already put them on the defense. So you let me know when right. you want to talk about it. I'd like to talk to you about it maybe next week. You let me know when you're ready. I'll be ready.
3: Lorraine said that when a couple is getting bogged down in the little annoyances
0: of daily life, it's time to get away. You need to take a step back and rekindle the romance and rekindle the love and maybe even if, you, if you're broke, you can still have a date night at home. We, we would just open a bottle of wine and we'd forget everything. Let's just talk and have a good reconnect.
3: Because what everyone wants and needs is to be known and loved.
4: Sometimes to feel understood is to fall in love. We love to be understood, and, and, and our best friends, and ideally our spouse are our best friends, we fall in love when people understand us.
3: Turning to parenting, the Bennetts have found knowing the temperaments to be extremely helpful.
0: When you have a child that is totally different than you, your first tendency right. is the parent will say something like, what did I do wrong? Is there something, you know, am I parenting badly? Or is there something wrong with the child? And it could be neither. It could be just a matter of temperament.
3: The Bennett's kids were all unique, of course.
0: The phlegmatic child can get lost in the shuffle, but sometimes we would free. he was so quiet, he would just over in the corner lining up his trucks, you know. And he was just so easygoing. One time we walked out of the store. I had all three of the kids, maybe some friends. We leave and we're like, something's missing. Oh, whoops. It's <laughs> got to run back. Run back for the child.
4: <laughs> it's a quiet a, child. Then you have a sanguine child who's heavy maintenance. Yeah. Comment on everything. wants you to see everything, see what I'm doing, watch yes. why I'm doing it. Why aren't you looking at me? Why aren't you paying attention yes. to me? So these kids come from the same background. It's kind of puzzling. Right. So the temperament helps. It blocks an immediate temptation to pathologize everything or to frame everything in very harsh terms that are probably inaccurate. I mean, I'm not to say that I mean, I have a mental health background. There is pathology. There is real illness out there, but at least causes you to pause and run through a few other options before you go there.
3: And the Bennetts wanted to help their children develop the virtues they needed to counteract weaknesses in their temperaments.
0: So for the choleric child, you know, you have a child that argues all the time. Well, so let's channel that tremendous energy into something more beneficial, like our choleric child. She she taught little kids how to swim. I was a tutor, actually. I remember that. Parents got me into tutoring or something, helping some other small children, you know, boss somebody else around, you know, instead of trying to boss the world around.
3: Since they talk about this issue often, the Bennetts sometimes come across people who ask if they can change their temperament.
0: Sometimes people express a sadness, uh, let's say, about why do I have this temperament. Sometimes people are dismayed by their own temperament. I think St. Jerome was one like that too. Like he had a very difficult temperament. Um, and I think he knew his temperament was difficult. <laughs> but sometimes people say, well, I just want to change. Can I just change my temperament? And we don't think you actually change your temper. We think it's actually more It is more virtuous to simply grow in virtue and to accept your temperament and to say, you know what? Just like St. Paul said, in my weakness is my strength. Allow Christ to give you what you need to grow. And
3: remember, God works with all temperaments
0: and the saints are all super diverse. I mean, when you read the lives of the saints and some of the things that they wrote themselves, they were very harsh on themselves oftentimes. And yet... From other people's perspectives, they would say, oh, my gosh, he was just the meekest man, like St. Ignatius of Loyola. Mm-hmm. In the beginning is this firebrand. You know, he's completely choleric. And they said at the end of his life, he was so meek and so charitable and humble. And But he didn't change his temperament, but he grew to become more Christlike. So he grew in virtue. So we think that's the goal. Not, we're not trying to change the temperament because you can use that.
4: They become so balanced, it's hard to pick up their temperament.
0: As always, lots more to be said. Check out the
4: show
3: notes. Oh, and how did Art and Lorraine end up together?
4: I was strikingly handsome. That's, what, <laughs> that's Back in the day. Is, <laughs> now, yeah.
3: yeah. If you like what you've heard today, please support this project by sharing it with your friends, subscribing to Made for Love on iTunes, writing a review, or commenting on the show notes at marriageuniqueforareason.org. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and all those things. This is essentially a one-woman production, so yours truly did everything, with the notable exception of the music, which was composed and produced by Michael Taylor.
2: Hello, this is Michael. Thanks for listening.
3: Thanks, everyone.